up? What's up? Welcome to another episode of All Over VoiceOver with Kip VH. I'm your host, Kip VH. Thank you so much for joining us. And with me in studio today, the lovely, the talented Keith Farley. Keith, thank you so much for being here, man. It's a pleasure. I think this is the first time that we've... I, I've seen you at meetings and stuff, but I think the first time we've ever really had a conversation, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Come I look in. forward to many, many more. <laughs> Me too. It'd be great. <laughs> how, how did you, where, where are you from? Where, where are you from originally? Wow, I grew up all over California. Okay. Uh, I was born in Stockton, lived in Fremont, moved to Long Beach, mm. uh, which is sort of where I became a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers yeah. and got into, uh, fell in love with the radio. Uh, I used mm. to come home after school in third and fourth grade, and I would string up a little uh, radio, a little microphone up over my lamp on my desk in my bedroom. I put my record player out in front of me, and yeah. I'd play records, and I'd record it, and then I'd talk in between the records, and that was my idea of a afternoon's good fun was uh, oh, man. talking into microphones. So That's... the fact that I got to grow up and do that for a living has been a, has been a joy. I came up through radio. Uh, I was lucky enough to move to Sacramento. We had a radio station uh, at my high school. Oh, really? So I cut my teeth there. Yeah. uh, And ended up my junior year um, DJ and Top 40 Radio at uh, KROY, which was the local... uh, Top 40 radio station. It was 2 to 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Yeah. So, <laughs> it but was, still, you're broadcasting. It was a little bit of a dream come true, yeah. but in, in an odd way. How did you make that jump from, from high school radio to professional radio DJ, even, even the 2 a.m. slot? Um, persistence, I mean, the mm. squeaky wheel, man. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm. A buddy of mine's mom was dating a guy who knew a guy at the local radio station, and mm. I just started calling him up and saying, hey, listen, what can I do? Can I come down and sweep floors? Can I come down? And they put me actually on uh, doing a survey. I did all sorts of stuff for free for about six months. And Uh once I was in the door, I started hitting up the program director every week, just being, again, that squeaky wheel came in and said, "Uh, you know, I'm happy to be making phone calls here and asking people what they listen to and what kind of music they like and, you know, what stations they listen to and how we can be more... Uh, aggressive in our you know promotional and programming, but what I really want to do is be on the air. So when the slot opened up, two to eight a.m. on Sunday mornings, a lot of public service, public affairs programming, but I did get to DJ for that that first half hour yeah. and the last ninety minutes. Oh, great! So it was great. So that sort of six thirty to eight a.m. on a Sunday morning, when my, all my pals were getting up and getting ready for church and everything, right. I was doing their morning drive. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. It was terrific. And it lasted for most of my uh, junior year. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was also involved in the theater. Mm. And um, when I got to uh, college, um, someone teed me up to a, a gig that was happening at a local radio station that was a, a contemporary Christian rock okay. station, KYLO in Davis. Uh-huh. And I ended up doing an afternoon drive for them for six months and when I was in college uh-huh. and uh, and then I just sort of left radio behind it just did it wasn't a good fit for me hmm. um, in what way just the the temperaments and personalities of hmm. a lot of radio folks there's some great great people in radio sure. and uh, I still I'm a huge NPR junkie oh man so I love me some good radio news I love sports talk I love you know when it's good there's nothing like it I love getting roped into that conversation yep. but like music radio mm. has changed a lot with the mm. whole uh, in clear channel. And when they deregulated the industry, it sort of got corporatized. It got gobbled up a lot of uh, even in at KYLO in Davis. It was a uh, it was automated. Really? We had six reel to reels and one of them was me. So I would front announce whatever was on reel number two and I could back announce what was ever was on reel number six. Huh. And uh, but it was all automated. I recorded my show the night before for broadcast the next day. It was kind of a trippy situation. That's, that's but that wild. was 1984. Not to date myself uh-huh. too late. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that was 1984. So that was early. I mean, now it's all on a computer. Half yeah. the size of the one you're working with right there is a what you hear on a lot of radio. Wow. If you're driving across the country, your Jack FMs right. and all that sort of thing is pre-programmed um, music radio. And now with Sirius, there's even every station doesn't even have 
there's anybody who talks in between right. songs anymore. I mean, so. it's essentially a promo guy does that stuff in a in a in a in a you know sits down and does an hour session that'll cover him for probably the month unless Indeed. they do a special event here or there or some special town hall with Billy Joel. <laughs> That's right. You know, where the only real interaction that you're getting with anybody is if it's a call in or a live thing. Or, That's right. Hmm. So I, I sort of I veered off into the world of. Uh, of theater, film, and TV, and it came down to Los Angeles, you know, with uh, stars in my eyes and dreams of being on camera. Did that for a few years. Uh-huh. Uh, picked up sp- little spots on Beverly Hills 90210, Full House, did the face thing. Yeah. A couple of independent features, and uh, then I was working with a company called The Actors Gang. Oh, yeah, and Tim Robbins. And, indeed. And I've been with them for 26 years, not to date myself. Fantastic. Too late. Uh, but in 1991... We had just finished doing this great production of The Good Woman of Setswan mm. uh, at the Odyssey Theater here in town. And I was like, well, well what happens next? And they're like, oh, we know. We just sort of hang out, you know, till Tim gets another movie and comes back with some money to do some theater. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, well, what do we do in the meantime? And I had this little radio show that I'd written, which was like a, a live radio theater. On the, oh, great. And the sort of- uh, Like with live sound effects. And live sound effects. Like, Let's theater. do that. And there was a coffee house in my neighborhood, Highland Grounds, okay. which was on Highland. Um, I forget what it's called now. It became the street. But it was this little coffee house that was opening up in my neighborhood. And the first Thursday of the month, we did original radio theater for a year, 91 to 92, 12 months. And- uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Mitch Watson came out of there, who uh, is now a head writer on um, King Julian for DreamWorks. Oh, wow. And uh, Tenacious D was born uh, in those in those early, you know, that That's first great. 12 months. And uh, it was a great stomping ground for all of us to sort of flex our muscles. Yeah. And um, then I went to work at Klasky Chupo, the animation really? company. And I was a PA there for years. Uh-huh. Uh, worked my way up to manager, coordinator. I guess it goes the other way around, coordinator, manager, associate producer, producer. Uh-huh. And by the end of the three years in production that I was there, I sort of started to feel like I'm a creative. This is not really my thing. I had a show that was starting to take off called Bat Boy the Musical, which oh, yeah. has gone on. Fantastic. And so we were writing that at the time. It was gaining some heat. Uh-huh. We did this. Um, my writing partner, Brian Fleming, and I did a uh like a one-off pop-up film festival in Park City called Slum Dance. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, our film didn't get into Sundance, so uh-huh. we're like, well, hey, hey just still show our why partner. don't we just show up and right. do our own festival? Right. And we did. We put it together in about six weeks. And uh, we were right on Main Street in the basement of the old Mrs. Fields Cookie Factory. It oh, was a man. gas. So that stuff was starting to take off. And we were we had an offer from IFC to do some stuff for them. And I went to my boss at Klasky Chupo at the time and said, hey, listen, if I could have a few weeks, I need just a big, maybe a 10-week break so I can really focus on writing this show and then dealing with all this new stuff that's happening. Yeah. And she said, you know what? We've been kind of keeping an eye on you. Hmm. And the new creative director of the studio, it feels like he's got everything under control except the voice talent. Would you be interested in stepping in as voice director on Rugrats? Oh wow! And it was a it was a dream come true. It was a gift for me. And uh, I said, "Yeah." She said, "Yeah, you'll just work one or two days a week. You'll make about what you're making now, and you'll have your free time to write your show, and you'll be able to do all these other things. And we'll still keep you around here, and maybe you'll be doing something that you're that you are really good at." Um, so I did. I directed, voice directed Rugrats for five years. Wow. Five, the last five seasons of Rugrats were all mine. And that led to some Rugrats, at the time, CD-ROMs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? Which yeah. were, then became Rugrats video games. And that's where I met a lot of the people that I started working with and that I still work with today. That's fair. As a voice director. And then coming back around to the performance side of it as well. It's yeah. like, as a writer, director, actor, I sort of rank them by what pays the bills yes yes t- <laughs> so totally for a while that. it was actor director writer and then it was <laughs> after a while it was it became director writer actor was kind of you know the, yeah. the the third one and then over the last few years it's sort of been director actor and writer and writer seems to be coming back um as bat boy is sort of trying to make its way back to new york so that's fantastic it's been a really really what a long, strange trip it's been, if I can quote the, Jerry Garcia. And what I what I love about the fullness of this 
particular endeavor of you know being a creative that 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 that's really the only kind of title that covers all of it uh, and i mean i i came through second city and it trained me i went in there as an actor i left as a director and a writer and a producer and all these things where you're constantly trying to all right well if i'm not booking this thing i want to be able to i still want to work I still want to create opportunities for myself and for my friends and for whoever is around and, and to be generating. And what an exciting time to be to be doing that. But what made it exciting is that you were doing it and that added to the excitement of the time. Yep. And that's the key, I think, is uh, to be doing it, mm. you know, just to don't let anything stand in your way. I mean, whether it's at a coffee house on Highland or <laughs> whether you're, you know, working for some of the biggest players in the in the business you got to start somewhere and you have to make stuff i mean we didn't let the fact that our film didn't get into sundance or slam dance stop us and it was a notion we were sitting on santa monica boulevard you know out in front of the theater one night and i just turned to my partner like we should start our own festival we should call it slum dance well it could be like a tent city and every tent could have a vcr and a tv and people could walk up and down. You have these vagrants, you know, walking up and down with shopping carts and VHS tapes. And you pick one. And we did it. And we had a big a main room. And we had a little 16 millimeter projected on a wall in the back. And it turned out to be the biggest party in Park City because we were real. Yeah. And we had brilliant design. My wife is a brilliant, brilliant designer. And she tricked out that space. Oh, so it felt like you were at someplace special. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was it was a real and again, we spent money to do that. We didn't <laughs> that did not yeah. that was not something that we ended up but it ended up leading to uh like I said, I worked with the IFC uh for for years on a show called Split Screen. Oh. Uh we got some really good attention and uh it was great. And going into work again, my wife led me to that PA job at Klasky Chupo because she didn't want to go back to it. She mm. had gone on during hiatus to work for uh, John Chris Felusi oh, on yeah. Ren and Stimpy. So she was the essentially the fan club director for Ren and Stimpy. Okay. And she loved that job. And she was like, You take you should go take that PA job. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a Right. I'm a part time actor. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I gotta maintain my availability just and in case I gotta go to a co star audition. That's right. She yeah. sat me down and she said, What do you want to do with your life? I want to write, I want to direct, I want to act. He goes, there are writers in that building. Go meet them. There are directors in that building. And there are actors coming through there all day, every day. Go meet those people. Go do this thing. And I'm glad I did because like you, I learned also how to produce. Yeah. Even though it's not my skill set. And man, do I have respect for people who are are elegant, easy producers. Oh man, do I love those people. Oh. It's not me. Yeah. I am... Uh, it's work for me. I can get it done, but it just it doesn't fit right. Yeah. By the end of three years of doing it, I was having chest pains. Yeah. I was not sleeping well. Um, all sorts of signs that I needed to be doing what I was good at. Yeah. You know? I, I totally understand that. I, I was a multimedia producer for maybe three years uh, when I was uh, back in Toledo before I started all this. Mm -hmm. And that opportunity led me into this. I, I mean, I, we needed, uh, you know, basically training on this system that we had built for uh, this plastic bottle manufacturing company that was global and all of the material that we had produced, but people didn't understand exactly how to use the computer and the laser disc and all the things that were tied to it. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll do it. I'll write something and produce it because I'm tired of logging all the footage from factories. And that started my producing career in this tiny building of eight like-minded people and one boss who un radically underbid the project. And you're, <laughs> you know, but, but yep. that skill set, that experience at, at that little company made it possible for me now to be comfortable doing self-tape, directing, uh, just even doing this show. I'm coming out of pocket on this show because I want to make it, but like I know enough to be dangerous <laughs> and I have permission from my, not permission, but my but my wife's blessing to spend resources to, to develop the show. Absolutely. You know, and it's that thing of like, you know, I don't know where it's going to lead, but I need to make, period. Yeah. You know? 
I feel you. Um, Carl Jung says, and I tell this to my students all the time, if you make a path to the forest, the forest starts making a path to you. Mm-hmm. And that that in, that intention, that knowing in your mind, like, well, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. This is, if I keep working at it, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah. And then it starts coming at you in the same way. And you find that with that, as opposed to sitting around and waiting for it, like, oh, gee, I wish I had a yeah. career in voiceover. I wish I had a career as a writer. No, get up and write. Yeah. My buddy Mitch Watson has been writing. The guy is the most dedicated writer I know. Hmm. He writes every day and always has, even when he had a full-time job sitting next to me as a production coordinator at Klasky Chupa. We started there together. Mm -hmm. He was always going home and spending three or four hours, five hours in the evening writing stuff. And a lot of it was never produced, but uh, a lot of it now is wow. because he's honed that craft. He's the story editor on King Julian. He is all over. He's got a book out. He is he is a writer because he writes. Hmm. You know, and we are actors because we act, yeah. whether we're getting paid or not. That's right. You know, we're going to be doing it, and uh, hopefully, you get to be, you know, our age. Yeah, and you get to do it. Uh, for a living, you for get to living. do it in the in the big leagues. So. That's right. It's such a. Uh, it's just. It's cool to talk with you about. I had experience with with uh, another guest where it was the same thing of kind of like, oh wow, I thought I was the only person who did that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because right. you, you figure it out in this weird kind of way of like, if I record myself and play music and clamp it to a lamp, or whatever your little system is, you're just. You, it's this. Com- compulsion to make something that lives on this crazy little cassette tape mm-hmm. you know yeah i had the tiak four track cassette <laughs> i had that thing i sat there a lot and tried you know tricking it tricking it out flipping the tape over and we're back masking you yeah know, recording yeah. backwards stuff <laughs> uh, That's so awesome. it was great so yeah i totally and i love it i still i mean at home i'm just i'm just now getting to the point where i'm i'm starting to Think about really building a studio that will live in my house. Yeah, um, you know, right now I'm in a converted closet. Yep, as I think a lot of a lot of us are. Yeah, it's quiet enough, and but still, I'm in there with my little four track, which is now my laptop, yeah. and my nice little microphone instead of the little cheesy one that came with the Radio Shack cassette deck. <laughs> That's right. Do you know what I mean? It's or like hanging the thing on a hook so you can get to the tiny mic next right. to the record button. Exactly. But I'm still playing. I'm still doing the yeah. same thing, and I get to go in there and. And uh, make up characters every day. So, I I love making my own demo reels. Yeah. Like that little, like making a 45 second sample of things I didn't know I was able to do or knew because I proved it in the car. Right. Never captured it. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. You got to put it on tape. You got to write it down. You got to make it. You got to make something of it. You can't just again sit around and wait for it to come to you. How how long have you been teaching as well? Do you are you, you teaching? Know, or... I don't do as much teaching as I should um, because I'm I've just been so busy. Yeah. Working. Yeah. Um, but I talked to Bob Bergen about it, who teaches four times a year, and yeah. he says he just puts it on the calendar that he has four weekends a year that he just he has devoted himself to teaching, and he's got his little ask the pig. Right. thing that he does now too which right. is fantastic that's great and uh i should do i need to do that i need to get back to that sort of giving back and helping others and bringing them up um because i really do enjoy it and i get to guest at different workout groups and stuff oh, and people who call me up around town and say hey can you come by and yeah sit in with our workout group and see where we're at um because it is about the future i think voiceover is really special in that way and that mm-hmm. there is a mentor you know, um, yeah. mentality yeah. where those of us who've been in the business a little while are looking at the people who are coming up behind us and saying, come on, come on. Mostly for me, don't make the same mistakes I did, huh. you know, yeah. um, and then do some of the things that I did. I mean, I look at some of the, some of the folks that I've been working with recently and, uh, I'm just astounded by these late 20 years, early thirties, young guys who are coming up, um, who are really, really good at what they do and really, really focused and smart and have made all the right choices. Mm. Because I think there's so much more mentoring going on from all the books that are out there right now, from podcasts like this. Um, Darren DePaul, who recently 
came out here to L.A. Uh-huh. from New York with a dream of doing um, voiceover for video games and is now inundated with work. Man. Listened to podcasts like this, studied up on the industry because of the Internet, because it was there for him. So... I mean, it didn't. It didn't exist when I was coming up. Me neither. I didn't know, you know, where to go, who to, whose door to knock on, and if my wife hadn't shoved me into Klasky, I'd probably still be wondering. You know, and there was that perception too of the twenty-five people who have all the jobs. I don't know why twenty-five, but maybe someone took a headcount. But the, but the, you know, and that was certainly how it was in Chicago coming up in commercial, where it was like, well, that stuff is locked up, and guys like you know Pete Stack are going to go over to AR and sit waiting for wait for the faxes to come rolling in, and who do you think you are to come in here? That 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 idea is completely shattered, and that you can and should do it from everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I don't know. I'm I'm constantly inspired by that and by people who are reaching out and saying, you know, oh, man, I just I booked five spots for Time Warner in my neighborhood, you know, because that was, you know, I mean, I say it all the time. I got started on hold messaging. Right. And, you know, and it's you just you just keep you keep going. That's right. You keep doing it. You got to start somewhere. Got to. Yeah. Got to. Like some kids get to get lucky, get to come in and break in at the top. Um, yeah. But that usually means a guy like Darren, who I mean, was like a phenom. He showed up mm-hmm. in town, and the next thing you know, he's on, he's doing the Star Wars things. He's on Overwatch. He's just like, oh wow, he's exploded. Yeah. But you know what? He came out of the theater. He's a Broadway performer. That's what he's I'm... a singer and an actor. He's honed his craft. He has worked more diligently than anybody I know. And that's how you get better is by doing the work. It's one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I mean, from my own personal experience, I'm sketch comedy. So that stage uh, and working in the Second City every night helped tremendously to work on timing and all those other things. But but what what do you feel about how much the theater influenced uh, and prepared you for this particular kind of character work, the life, and and uh, and well, then we'll see where we go. Dropping that grenade into the conversation. What? Sure. Um, well, it was a. I mean, getting to work with the Actors Gang, which is similar to Second City, in mm-hmm. that we workshop in an improvised way. It's based on the characters of the Commedia dell'arte. Mm. Um, and look it up because it, it will open a whole world for you. These stock characters, you have the Capitano who pretends to be, you know, the big, he's great with the ladies and he's a huge fighter, but really he's a coward. You know what I mean? And you've got, you know, the Pantalone who's, who's a penny pinching, money grubbing, guy. You've got the two young lovers. You've got the Arlecchino character, who's the wily servant. And you don't have to look much further than The Simpsons to see Chief Wiggum, you know, Mr. Mm. Burns um, and Bart as three characters that are pulled straight from the stock of the Commedia dell'arte. So that improvisational tradition of being able to put on a stock character, get up on stage and see what happens um, is really, really what... um, video game voiceover in particular is all about because you don't know what your character who your character is you don't get a script ahead of time in video games 99 times out of 100 you walk into that booth with a microphone a music stand and a stack of paper (laughs) excel sheets yeah with no context whatsoever it's just your character running down the page and you have to go in and hopefully in partnership with a good director, make up a world yeah. and make that world happen. And it's a specialized skill mm-hmm. and not everybody can do it. Um, and that's what I've realized in the last three years. It kind of woke me up um, hmm. working with this negotiating committee and yeah. this whole process of negotiating this contract and really looking at at what it is that video game actors in particular do Um, Because I've worked with celebrities, I've directed celebrities, you know, up and down, up and down the aisle. And some of them have that sense of play and they come in and they're just amazing. Jeff Goldblum comes to mind. He's amazing. Mm. And others are stymied. Really? By the microphone, the music stand and the stack of scripts. Yeah. And because they haven't had a chance to look at it ahead of time. Um, And a lot of new folks, a lot of folks who don't do this work regularly, um, really struggle with it really really struggle with it 
It's a specialized skill to be able to say, you alone have to make up this whole character, this whole world, this whole frequently long conversations. We've got a lot of video game time to fill. Um, And it is. It's it's extraordinary to watch uh, the folks in this business who are really, really good at it do it well. It's so interesting just having that, having the process and the freedom to choose and be wrong. And be like, you know what? I'm going to be totally wrong, but I'm going to make a strong choice. And even if it's completely inappropriate for where we're going, I know that someone will redirect me or tell me. Or it might be the thing that no one really thought of and go, oh, my God, no, that totally works for that character to be a pantalone in this world where I had expected him to be, you know, something else. And um, I, I but I'd never made that connection of Commedia dell'arte being something that would be so uh, helpful in video game work. That's a really interesting observation. Yeah, it is. It is really helpful. And I think uh, improvisation in general, the ability to not be afraid of the unknown. Yes. Which is what improv teaches you. It's like you get on stage, you have no idea what's going to happen. And the, the idea is to accept a proposal and make a new one. Accept and give back. And accept and give back. And that's what... That's what actors in games do really, really well. Yeah. Is walk into a booth like not knowing. Man. Making choices in your auditions. And that's right. Yeah. And just being comfortable with it Indeed. and just and embracing it. And and as much as people say, you know, the the worst time is getting in front of an audience and not having anything, I disagree. I think an audience is easier than uh because the audience knows you're improvising. If you're like, hey, welcome to an improv thing, we're going to do our thing. And I can probably, even if I fail in front of an audience now, it's better to fail in front of an audience than to fail in front of our one director. Hmm. Where I go into a room uh, and we're going to improvise from 12 to 5 to try to find something funny that the director thinks is great. And then, and there's nothing to work off of. The director's just there sitting with a yellow pad going, next scene. That to me is... Uh, I can't imagine that. That sounds terrifying. It sounds, sounds horrible. Because <laughs> you don't know it's funny without an audience. Right. The audience tells you what's funny. But when the director goes, uh, that was funny. Good. Moving on. <laughs> then, <laughs> then you go. I oh. thankfully have never been that actor or oh, that director. Boy, it's, that's, boy, that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's a challenging space to be. So that kind of makes it, but it makes playing in front of an audience so much easier in that respect, too. Like I said, you have to have an audience, I think, especially with comedy, because how do you know if it's funny? That's right. You just how do you know? And sometimes they sometimes they don't give you anything, and afterwards they're so effusive. Right. That was great! Well, I'll tell you a quick story about that that very, very thing with Bat Boy. Um, when we were doing the production here uh, in Hollywood... We had a night on the show. I mean, normally the show is just, it's its funny, but it's also filled with heart. I mean, the mm. show also really has some some deep messages, and it's very easy to lose sight of that in the comedy. Mm. But it's always intended to be a comedy, even though the characters shouldn't know that they're in a comedy, right? Yeah. yeah. One night, nobody was laughing. Mm. And I just sat there in the back of the house like, oh, what have we done wrong? And at the end of the show, when the curtain came down, the audience leapt to their feet with an ovation like I've never heard before. Wow. And the, 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 the actors that night and the audience had just keyed into the tragic elements of the story. Wow. And they were so engaged with what was going on that they didn't laugh out loud. Yeah. But they were totally 100% engaged. And it's like you said, sometimes people are having a great time. And they're just either not as demonstrative or they're getting something else that you're doing that you were unaware of. Yes. And that's why audiences, I think, are so important. And again, that's why VO actors are so unique in that without an audience to tell you, um, they're still able to create characters and moments that resonate with an audience down the line. It's like a film. That's right. It's like working in film. Same thing. You're setting up. And, but still, even there, you have a crew of 40 or 50. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the VO booth, you've got an audience of five. Yeah. And maybe you throw a few producers in, maybe eight. And you don't get, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you don't, don't get the immediate response often, too, on the line or that kind of thing because they're because you're recording or isolated or it's a back and forth. And you I, so have to trust how it feels yeah. in a way. And if you've got a director on the other side of the glass who's... Working with you. So a lot of times I 
I imagine myself as a director, I want to be the actor's best audience. Hmm. And that's part of my job is to respond to what they're doing and to work in partnership with an actor to create a performance. Um, And I've been blessed to be able to to been able to do that a lot. That's always such a wonderful feeling when you go into the booth to know that you've got a director who empathizes with the experience of being on the other side, you know, and it's it's. You know, I, I cut my teeth in commercials, so I didn't have that experience that often. No, you just you you sit there and you're wearing cans, and there's somebody in St. Louis. Yeah, going, ah, that was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Any any redirects or any suggestions? Um, no. Well, we got you got to fit it in nine. Right. And right now it's at seven. So take your time. Yep. All right. I had a I did a um taglines for Hornitos tequila, right? And so my line was Hornitos premium tequila, purer than your intentions. That was the line. So I walk into the booth and I do it three times in a row and then they start redirecting. All right, let's try it with a little bit of an accent. Let's try it without the accent. All right, now a really, really heavy accent. Okay, try pitching it up a little bit. And about half an hour later, we'd probably done it. Those 12, 13 words, we'd probably done them a hundred times. And I'm walking out and uh, thanking the engineer for for his time and for hooking it up. He's like, you know they're going to take the second take. It was perfect, dude. I said, yeah, but so what? Yeah. So what? So what? I'm here to do, I'm here for, I was here for 30 minutes. And yeah, okay, I'll try it any way you want to do it. Let's do it again. Let's do it again and again and again and again and again. And you take the second take, more power to you. Yeah. And yeah, that was a good spot. I ran on six different spots for two years, and my kids got to go to the doctor. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> right. all that stuff was able to happen because of that 25 minutes when I was like, sure, you bet. Let's do it again. Now, we don't have time to do that in video games. We've usually got right. scripts that stack to the ceiling that we have to get through. Um, so we move really quickly, and we, again, we take the instinct um, and in a way that commercials don't. But mm-hmm. I never begrudge them. I, it's always weird when you're like, and you just keep saying okay and doing it again. Yeah, because that's what they're paying you to do. That's what they're paying you to do. Yeah, and I and and we may find something. I might have my preconceived idea of what I did in the audition and what I came in with, or I might have gotten the opportunity to listen to the audition before and go in. And, All right, let's let's do it. But I'm I'm here. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, just because and I've had this conversation with a couple folks about in particular that sort of attitude that we go into the booth with of trust of like, look, I'm a I am a I'm a dispenser of emotion of not only your content, but that that's what I'm I'm like. a geez, This is so like <laughs> Bob Ross, Southern California. But I, but I'm a tree for you to pluck what you need. And hopefully you don't leave me completely raw and bare at the end of the session. Yep. I always yeah. say that the uh, <clears throat> the best actors, and I think directors too, are um, have a servant mentality. Yeah, that's the idea. Is that the job of the actor, with the help of the director, is to take the author's words and deliver them to the audience hmm. uh, with clarity and precision and emotion, and that's really what we're doing. Yeah, and you know whether it's animation or video games or you're selling cereal. It's the same thing. You're taking my job is to take the words on the page and deliver them to the audience with clarity, precision and emotion um, so that they can receive what the author intended. Yeah. That's the job. We're a delivery system. We're a delivery system. We are so, a service, the service industry. Yeah. And be a servant. Yeah. Have a ser- right. And the best actors, the best actors do. Hmm. What can I do? How can I be better? How yeah. can it be clearer? How can I how can I get this across? Um, more powerfully, more elegantly, how can I do it? Oh, that's great. It's true. That's great. <laughs> it is true. And, and I find that 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 spirit to be um, coming from the Midwest, it wasn't the expectation that I, I think that is told among people. Ah, oh, in LA, blah, blah, blah. But I find that uh, among, in particular, the people, the the, the people who are making their living and, and providing health insurance for their families, people who are out here walking that tightrope are the most engaged in that space of like a true open heart and really wanting to make certain that everything is is delivered properly. Yep. And is served up. And I way. think in voiceover especially, 
um, because there is no reliance on physical appearance. Yeah. Because that that's out of the equation. The idea of being a famous voiceover person was almost, I mean, it's a little more known today because people are paying attention yeah. and they want to see folks at their conventions and stuff like that. But still, there's a level of anonymity yeah. that goes along with it um, that isn't necessarily on the other side. When you start getting recognized by people on the street, people who've had an emotional experience that you weren't there for. Yes. It's a weird, it sort of throws things out of balance. And it's even true for VO performers, but a lot of times we get to sort of skirt that. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they don't know what we look like. Yeah. If you introduce yourself, then they can have that moment. I had that this weekend over at uh, Stan Lee's Kamikaze, uh, right. or the LA uh, Comic-Con. They've changed the name of it. Mm -hmm. But that very question was from a guy who was like, what's it like to 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 be anonymous and people know who you are and to do do you prefer the anonymity or do you and I do a fair amount of on camera too so it's that it is that sense of like you know I, I kind of like going to Ralph's and buying apples and going home yep you know I think the VO people have that mentality yeah. have that idea like wow I get to I get to make my living in the entertainment industry yeah. and I get to preserve my privacy yeah it's it's uh Pretty awesome. That's not that great, kids. <laughs> it's not that great. And Anonymity. <laughs> I traded it's it. Not, it's not that great. Don't don't even bother. <laughs> uh, can, can can I ask you what it what it's what it's been like? Because uh, you mentioned uh, you know the past three years that you've been on the interactive uh, uh, committee in negotiations and stuff and what that experience has been like for you. And first off, thank you for that, for your time. And, you know, because it's not a paid position. No, it's not. It's, it's you know, you're doing it on behalf of all actors and and not just members of SAG-AFTRA, but all future actors. And, and going to have a conversation on something that uh, people have been afraid to even mention. I remember the first time, the first video game I did in 2004 uh, with uh, for Rockstar in Detroit, and I or I was I played like the Detroit boss yep. in a Midnight Club Three Dub Edition. And I remember asking one of the New York day players, like, "What's the story on? How do we do? We get any? Is there any?" And they were like, "Don't even say it." Yeah, and I, it was I I was surprised that that was the nature of the conversation was like, don't even talk about it here. We're in the volume right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, it's another one of those careful what you wish for, make mm -hmm. a path to the forest moments. Cause huh. I remember, I, I remember very clearly sitting with my wife and grousing for the umpteenth time about the union and, and you know, whatever the latest misstep that it was making. And I realized as I was chatting with her, that it's so easy to sit on the sidelines and grouse. But if you want change to happen, you have to get involved. Yeah. That it wasn't the union. It's actually my union. Hmm. I paid money to be part of this group. I pay money every six months to keep this, keep the doors open yeah. down on Wilshire Boulevard and all around the country. Yeah. Um, I'm a part of it's my union. And I said, you know what? And it was a toss off. I was like, I should get involved and do something. Well, it wasn't too much longer after that that I got a phone call hmm. um, from a woman named Jill King, who's a community oh, organizer. Yeah. You yeah, probably have had sat down and had lunch with her. Yeah. Um, and she called me up. Bob Bergen had given her my number. Uh -huh. And she said, can I take you out to lunch and talk to you about the interactive agreement? And I, like you, started in interactive really in earnest in 04. Really? Which was the last time that things were really, not the last time, but the first time for me that things were really like approaching, talking about strikes and talking about secondary payments and talking about, yeah. and it was going on around me. I was working on um, a game called God of War. Sure. Yeah. And so everybody that was coming in had an opinion about it. And I'm in that unique position where I'm seeing all the actors coming through. Yeah. And I just sort of polled folks and I started listening to what they were saying. And were I just a side note, were you directing on that? I game? was directing. on OK, that game, so, yeah. so you were in a as a member of SAG at that point and after prior to our unification. Yep. Uh, but but they're listening and having that conversation. OK. Mm -hmm. gotcha. 
It's like, you know, what's what's going on? There's, you know, everybody in the waiting room was talking about, you know, whether or not we're going to go on strike. Uh, and so I started listening and I never really stopped listening. And I think I really understand the needs of actors in a way that any individual actor doesn't. Hmm. And I always thought you all knew each other. I always thought like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, don't you? You know, Kiff, don't you? And they're like. Uh, I think I've heard him on stuff. I was like, oh, that's right. Because you don't sit in my chair right. as a casting director and as a voice director. I right. know all y'all. Um, and so just being able to listen to the community and what was really important. And that's what SAG started doing. When Jill took me out to lunch that day, I realized that SAG-AFTRA had invested in organizers. Hmm. They put organizers on staff to go out into the community and listen to what the actors actually needed and wanted and were willing to fight for. And I thought, this is great. And when she called me up a few months later and said, we're going to do some house meetings. Do you want to come? I said, of course, because mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be part of this movement. Yeah. And so we did a bunch of house meetings where we sort of uh, identified the four planks that are sort of in our ask yeah. uh, in this contract negotiation now. And then I was getting on a plane to go to New York City, I think, and I got a text from Ken Howard, mm -hmm. who was the president of the union, yeah. asking me if I wanted to chair the negotiating committee. And I thought it was a mistake that he sent it to the wrong guy because uh, I couldn't imagine. I'm, I'm nobody. I came out of literally out of nowhere. Um, and to be asked to take that responsibility was certainly a mistake. So I called Jill and I was like, um, he doesn't really mean chair, right? He just means sit on the committee. Like, right. like occupy a chair thing. in a like, room. Sit behind staff. <laughs> like, yeah. Let the people who, who are, yeah, yeah, He yeah. meant sit in a chair, right? She's like, no. Uh, I said, that's crazy. And she said, I know, but we believe that you can do this. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I get, that organizing effort um, that the union took is the reason that we're here today. And it's the reason that that we have a, a, a unity um, and that we're going to hang together, Yeah, I think, is because we've been listening to our community. Uh, and, and we're just trying to get what this community has been asking for um, for... For 10, 12, 10, 15 years. And if you right. talk to some people who were back there in 94, yeah. some of our agents said, why don't we have a secondary payment structure in this contract yeah. from the beginning yeah. back in 94? And like, oh, it's too small. This is a small little tiny, you know, they don't use much VO. And we just want to make sure that there's a contract in place. And yeah, minimum system requirements. Right. And you can't, you know, you can't in some respects, it's it's hard to fault you know, people 20 some odd years ago for figuring out how, which direction things were going to go. And, you know, if we all were, you know, groundhogs, that's the dumbest analogy ever. But if we all <laughs> because were groundhogs see into the future, because they, 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 do. they do. If they could speak English, they would tell us <laughs> what we're doing wrong. Uh, but but if we all if we had that ability, I mean, who knows? I mean, God, sometimes you're just trying to look, you know two weeks into the future and figure yeah. out how I'm going to make rent. That's a, that's absolutely right. You know, but here we are today and we've been fighting doing. this fight for a long time and it's been very useful uh, on the producer side to have two unions that they could play off each other. That's right. Because I was there in 2008 when the SAG side was saying, uh, no, we're not going to sign this contract. We have to have some sort of secondary payments. And they're like, oh, what about you, AFTRA? Oh, we'll sign it. Yeah. And so right. I watched all the business run to AFTRA. And I don't make any judgments about that, but that's just what happened. Right. And that was very effective and very easy for them to do. But now we are we are unified as one union, yeah. so there's no place else they can go to right. peel us off. Uh, and we're really hanging together as a community in ways that we never have before. I feel that right now. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Because it was the intention of the union to make that happen. Hmm. The intention was Jill King took lunch with close to a hundred of us mm -hmm. and asked us all the same questions. What do you know about the interactive contract? How would you like to see it change? And do you know any of these people and can you 
help me take lunch with them. Hmm. And she listened. Wow. She wasn't trying to put forward anything. In these house meetings, we listened, we talked, and we hashed it out. Um, we came up with what we felt, and then we formed a committee. And then we hashed out what our ask would be based on industry standards and best practices. Yeah. Not only from the video game industry, but from animation, from you know commercial, from all the industries that we work in. The idea of a secondary payment in particular is not foreign to actors. Right. It's how we live. Right. And our performance is our intellectual property. That's which I will now call IP. Now that everybody knows what I'm saying when I say IP, it's yes. intellectual property. That's our performance. And it's it's viewed as such so that when I go in and I say Hornitos premium tequila purer than your intentions, every time the company takes that intellectual property, my performance of those words and uses it to sell tequila, I get a little bit of money. Every time the character I do on Legend of Korra. Mm -hmm plays on a television station where they're selling advertising, I get a little bit of that advertising because I help to create it. So in the in the world of video games, that doesn't exist. Right. And we're not asking for a royalty payment. We're not asking for a piece of every single unit that goes out the door, right. which would not be unheard of. No. There's certainly precedent for that. Do, is that how it works with the recording industry? For like, for example, if they're going to use Aerosmith's, you know, uh, "Sweet Emotion" in a game, would they get a piece of every single? The royalty is essentially the same in that you, there's way. A, yeah. There's a company that exists to sell you the rights to use that "Sweet Emotion" in your video game or whatever, mm -hmm. and they set a price for that, and that money is shared usually with the authors of the song okay. as opposed to the performers of the song. If I'm not mistaken, please, a, you know, bath, uh, ASCAP folks, let me know. Um, but yeah, you, the idea is you get paid every time that your intellectual property is sold. Um, so we deci decided that in this space that we would prefer a model that's more of a shared prosperity model. Yeah. Um, and that we would only want to share in the wealth of the most successful games on the planet, both because they're making money yeah, and B, because that's where the union performers exist. The video game world is a vast world. Yes. There are all sorts of app games that don't use voiceover. There are all sorts of app games that maybe use a little tiny bit of non-union voiceover. Mm -hmm. um, there are independent games, which are sort of on the rise right now. Yeah. I'm really excited about the, the way independent games are sort of expanding and creating new worlds that aren't just run through a desert and shoot people. All those games are my daughter's favorite. And the next generation are playing games like Undertale, where it's just here, here. where it's, you know, this is the game that I played in 1991 on my, you know, why are you playing this? Because it's a great story and it's well told story. That's right. Um, so anyway, when we get to the triggers for these secondary payments, which are every 2 million units up to 8. At 2 million units, that's when most video games, in, according to our studies, start to make money. Mm. And once you get to a game that sells 2 million or more, if it uses voiceover, it's using union talent. So again, we just sort of looked at the precedent of it. Uh, and that's where we, we're, where we put our ask. Yeah. Um, and, you know, actors are blowing their voices out. Yep. In recording sessions, we have stories of uh, actor Steve Bloom told us if you listen to he's got a one. It's at um, gameactorsforall.com. You can listen to yeah. Steve. He talks for about seven minutes about what it is that we're asking for and his experience. And he talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, vocal stress. And he mentions that he's passed out in sessions. He's tasted blood at the back of his throat in sessions. He has vomited in the booth from these characters that he is creating that are so textured and high volume. Yeah. So we want to try to keep actors working. That's, I think, the biggest goal that our committee has is to try to keep actors working. And when you have folks who are out for two or three weeks at a time because they've hemorrhaged their vocal cords, um, that's got to stop. We've yeah. got to figure out how to address that problem yeah. and uh, and uh, make it better. Yeah. 100% agreed. Yeah. Uh, um, why do you feel it's important? And I, I, 
I, I just want your uh, your language on it, truthfully, for people who are not in necessarily either in this union or in this market right now um, for uh, this, for something to them to stand in solidarity with. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be your contract eventually. Mm. I would hope that yeah. folks would be like me um, and aspire to work under a union contract. Um you get great health care, you get a good pension plan, um, you're paid fairly, and you're paid when you're not working. So that when you get used up or overexposed or people are tired of hearing you or seeing your face, that there's still a revenue stream that's based on the intellectual property that you've created over the course of your career. And that doesn't exist in the non-union world. Yeah. And it doesn't take too long, I think, folks will find um, for you to be become overexposed that your your day in this and we all know if you've been in this business for 20 or 30 years you see cycles yeah. that come and go I mean things were great for me in the 90s and they weren't so great in the early 2000s and they've come back and I knock wood and hope that that continues but I also know the reality of it is that this is a cyclical business yeah. and so when things are down you hope that those you go to the mailbox looking for those checks right. um, for that work that you've done before. You know, the Full House episode, two Full House episodes I did in 1991 still pay me a couple hundred bucks a year. Why? Because they're selling advertising, you know, and you'll take a look at the industry. This is a union industry, this town. Yeah. Hollywood is a yeah. factory town and it's a union factory. Everybody from the drivers on up to the makeup to the celebs yep everybody every job is a union job and it's a thriving industry it ain't hurting right the warner brothers is just down the street they're still open for business that's right fox across town and is still open for business universal studios right here in the backyard is yeah. doing Bafo business, they're making money. And they're innovating and creating the next technologies and figuring out what to put on those emerging technologies from VR to uh, all of it. Yep. And, so um, the, the argument that, that having to pay union talent union wages is going to somehow destroy any industry is um, it's just a non-starter because all you have to do is look around and see the truth yeah. of what unions do for everybody. You know, there was a day not too long ago, and I talked about this, I talk about this a, a lot in connection with, with the video game world, because people always say 15-hour days, seven days a week, months at a time, right. and I've wor I work with these people. They sit next to me at the, at the table when I'm directing. But it wasn't too long ago that actors were working 15-hour days, seven days a week for contracts oh. that they were locked into for seven years at a time. And even if they became movie stars, were required to be paid 50 bucks a week. That's right. And the folks at the top of the studios were getting filthy rich. And the performers were not only working 15 hours, seven days a week, but they were told who they were going to marry. They were told who they were going to support for public office. They were told what commercials they were going to do. And none of that was extra until somebody decided to stand up and say, hey, this, is, this isn't fair, this isn't right, this, this is hurting my family. And some people, brave folks, got together and stood up and decided that they would form a union. And it's those folks who really did the yeoman's work. So we understand in the recesses of our past what it is to be overworked yeah. and underpaid. Uh, and to be to have working conditions that are unhealthful. Um, so I think there's a lot of, especially in the VO community, there's a lot of um, solidarity and empathy with the folks who are on the development side. Yes, absolutely. So it's that you know the, this this perception of the idea that what we do is is like you know do my money for get my money for nothing, get my chicks for free, you know, and and it doesn't take long to 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 see when you actually do it when you're in there and either you're wrung out or you or you can't deliver what the producer's looking for and you've given every angle of what you're of what you can 
generate in your IP and they're still on the other side of the glass with their finger on the talk down, shaking their head going, I'm, uh, maybe we should call it for today. And then that feeling of walking out going, this is, this shouldn't be so hard. But it today it is, <laughs> you know, and then pulling yourself out of bed the next day and chasing more work. Yeah. You know, all those things. It's it, it is a you can you can look at the benefits of any gig and look at, you know, and be like, man, you must be living the life. You get to see the country and drive a rig and be free and listen to <laughs> Howard Stern all day. You know right. I mean? But like every specific gig has its unique challenges, and right now this is one of our unique challenges that we're working towards. And and uh, it is, yeah. and it's just a matter of of trying to bring this contract into the twenty first century. Yeah. There's nothing that's in our that's in our ask that isn't based on on precedent mm. and standards and the way this in this entertainment industry has run for years. That the game corporations would like to believe that their technology companies. But that's just that's laughable yeah. in the fact that was it a technology company when the guy took a movie camera and put it on the train tracks and filmed a train coming at him? Is that a te- it's a technology company. We use technology every day. We've got lights that turn on in this building. You're working at a, at a computer here. But when you're electronic arts, it's in the it's in your it's in your name. Right. You are an arts company. Right. Um, and that's just the way it is. You are an entertainment. Anytime that there is, there are people performing who are trying to elicit a response from an audience, that is a, that's a performing arts company. Right. That is an entertainment field. We're not selling, they're not selling TVs. They're not selling, you know, right. mixers and microphones. They're selling entertainment yeah. is what they're selling. So there's just, that, that's not an argument at all for me. We use technology. We do. The entertainment industry runs on technology. New cameras come out, uh, new lighting equipment comes out, new microphones come out, and there are technicians. We're surrounded by technicians yeah. in every work that we, in all the work that we do. But all that technology is in service of creating an emotional response in an audience, and that's entertainment. Oh, man, that uh, yes, yes, I. Uh... Thank you for saying all that. And thank you for sharing uh, your perspective and experience through this thing, because it's, you know, obviously it brings a lot of stress to people and people are afraid of confrontation and that kind of thing. But you can't just not stand up and say we what we provide is of tremendous value outside of for you, but for the audience at large and and for ourselves and what we've tried to do. As we move toward this, and we still, uh, there's an invitation from our committee to the corporations, to this industry, to recognize. I mean, our our final offer was an either or mm. offer where we said, hey, listen, if it's, if it's better for you to pay a little more up front, we're okay with that. But let's at least have the option for the folks who don't have that money to spend up front to have a secondary payment structure that they can have. So it's an either or. It's a path for you to never have to pay a secondary payment if you don't want to. Um, but for someone else who would rather they have the save the payment for later can have the choice. And we were categorically refused. And that's that's when the talks were over. <clears throat> and. The goal from that moment on has been to keep our members working as much as we can. So this strike, excuse me, Mm -hmm. is targeted at those companies who refused to take that choice. And we're not striking the folks around them. And we're trying to create new opportunities for indie developers to use union talent in their games. And we're going to try to we're trying to create a new culture that's based on industry standards and best practices. And hopefully those folks will see the light yeah, and they'll come back to the table because they do have the best talent in the business um, at their fingertips. And all they need to do is come back to the table and make a deal that our community, which we've talked about is organized. Yeah. Yeah. These Proposals didn't come out of a black hat down at the union hall behind closed doors. Right. They came from actors who work this contract every day. That's and right. this is what we're asking for. It's not unreasonable. It is industry standard. It adheres to best practices. It's about safety. 
and sharing in the prosperity of the biggest blockbuster games on the planet, your Call of Duties, your Grand Theft Autos, yeah. your um, Transformers. I mean, all those games that, that go out there, the Star Wars series, those games that we had a great, one of the actors in one of our meetings one night said, remember that movie that made a billion dollars opening day? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It doesn't happen no. in the in in the film world. Not at all. Nobody makes a billion dollars on opening day except video games. Right. And when a game and what's been waking people up in my conversations with people has been uh, the re-release. Right. Like, you know, Bioshock Infinite just was ported for Xbox One and PS4. Yep. And someone who's not in the industry was like, so you're going to get a little taste of that, right? I was like, what? No. No, no, no. I'm not getting any taste of that. Nope. And that's when the realization hits them. Well, that ain't, <laughs> you did. They just re-release. They're gonna make how much? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, you know, and it is, and it's hard because you know I love Ken Levine. I love working on that game, and it's not about the developers. Of course not. You know. Of course not. So we feel for them. We understand it. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago that we were under the same situation? Yeah. Working for corporate overlords, and being forced into work situations that were risking our health and destroying our families and all sorts of of other stuff. You don't we're, we're it's, you're not meant to work 14 hours a day, 7 days a week for months at a time. Right. Keith, I could talk to you all day. This has been We're not going to leave it there, are we? Uh, well, let's well, <laughs> No, we're not going to leave it there. We're Can we talk about exciting things that yes, are coming in the future? Well, what exciting things are coming in the future? What do you have What do you what do you have personally? Well, let me ask this question. Uh, it's been one of my favorite things. Of the things that you've done, either as a director or as a writer or even as a as a performer, what thing if you've gone like I wish I wish more people would experience that cuz I'm really freaking proud of that work. Would wow. love people to experience that, and it just, and even if it's something that got a lot of love, but you just, just it's got a special place in your heart. What would that piece be? I think do, playing Thane, Thane Krios in the Mass Effect series, mm. um, it was terrific writing. I got to work with um, Ginny McSwain, who wow. is a who is comes from the same place I do um, as a director, and we got to work together to create intimacy in video games which was unheard of and to be able to do that with her at the helm and uh to make that happen that was something i was really really proud of that's a big one yeah. a small one just this last weekend i got to uh do a production with a company i'm involved with called fake radio oh. we did orson wells 1939 broadcast of the war of the worlds and i got to play the orson wells role <laughs> which and again, it's that when when good writing comes along and you can just get out of the way and there's nothing, you're not forcing anything, you're just allowing the writing to sort of carry you along. That happened in Mass Effect and it happened on Saturday night. Even it was an audience of, you know, 75, 100 people who'd come out and uh, we gave them this little Halloween treat that Orson Welles created 80 years ago. And... Uh, that was a, just a, a sheer joy. So I look forward to more stuff like that. Amen. We'll keep talking. I'm talking with you has been great. This has oh, been a lot of fun. I've had so much fun talking and getting to know you a little bit. And just and again, I, as I've been watching from updates and all that other kind of stuff, uh, it's just been wonderful to be able to sit face to face and have a conversation about the Yeah, and I'll tell you again, I'll just plug Game Actors for All. Mm. Um, that's either the number four or F-O-R, Game Actors for All. Um, is a website where there's a lot of really good information that's going on. Um, you can always navigate the SAG After website, yeah. sagafter.org. That's S A G A F T R A dot org slash interactive mm -hmm. is where a lot of the um, information about what we're doing, where we're going to be. Um, if you want to come out and, and hang out with your, your favorite VO peeps, um, yeah. walk a picket line, uh, we're doing some of that. That's right. And uh, not a lot of it because we're trying to keep our actors working. Yeah. Again, we're going to show up and do these things, you know, for a couple hours here and there um, just to keep folks knowledgeable about that. The fact that we're not working on certain games, but really we're trying to keep our members working yeah. uh, as much as we can. And, and they work in animation. They work in promos. They work in commercials. Right. None of that is being struck right. right now. We're just not working for some of the biggest video game corporations on the planet. 
And it's only because they they wouldn't they don't want a choice. Well, I, so, I hope things. Uh, I, I hope we can. I hope they will return to the table and be willing to have this conversation. Me too. And uh, and thank you again for for being there for that. That's great. And thank you for being here today too and sharing your story and. All that stuff and and just uh, I don't know I'm I'm inspired by everything that you're up to and uh, and 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 want to continue doing it too. It's so a pleasure. I much. I really I love it. How can people find like in you in social media like Twitter and stuff like that? Um, I have a uh, Keith Farley is Kickass Voiceover on uh, that's my company name Kickass Voiceover uh, on the Facebooks. Uh-huh. Um, I'm at Faroneer on the on the uh, Twitter right and uh, you could look up Keith Farley it's k-e-y-t-h-e Farley not k-e-i-t-h um, that'll also help you find me so I, I look forward to to meeting your peeps awesome I'm sure they'll look forward to, to, to meeting you and uh, I hope uh, that those of you who have those of you who've listened you uh, if you've gotten to this point you've clearly listened because this isn't <laughs> tuning in to a later broadcast uh, you just listen to the whole thing so thank you so much for doing that uh, and we will holler at you with another episode soon take care peace Thank you for joining us on All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. Please take a moment to review the show and let other folks know what you thought. And if you dug it, please subscribe. Follow the show on Twitter at All Over VO and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash allovervo with Kiff VH. That's it for this time. You get what you get and don't get upset. Claim victory and depart the field.